You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Really good to be here with you today for our 10 o'clock service happening at 11 o'clock. We want to welcome everybody else at home right now. If you're watching in another state, we do a really weird thing called time change here. Depending on where you're watching, you may do it too. We're really glad that you're here, even though, is anybody else tired, like kind of dragging a little bit today? Has a second cup of coffee? Anybody? You won't even say yes, you're so tired. Eh, all right, yeah. Move on. Okay, well, we're really glad that you're here today. In this series, for those of you visiting with us last week, Brett Cadwell kicked us off. And didn't he do a great job? Can we just stop saying thank you to Brett Cadwell? So Brett kicked us off. We're talking for these next four weeks about where does God want to take us as a church over the next five years. And uh, I have to say, this is called our vision. A vision is a preferred future. Where do we uh, prefer or desire to be as compared to maybe where we are right now? So what we did is over the last six months, we've worked together with an organization called the Unstuck Group to kind of create this and then start to build some plans to make that a reality here in year one, start moving that direction. We don't want to overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in five years. So it's about those two things working together together. I don't know if that makes sense. Anyway, so what I want to show you is our mission statement. If you've been at Kingsway for any length of time, this is not really new. We made one word change. Our mission is to become more like Jesus. We used to say to become more like Christ. Those two words are really synonymous. Jesus' name was Jesus. His title was the Christ. He was the prophesied one, the one we were told him would come, the Messiah and the Christ. One's Hebrew, one's Greek mean the same thing. We like Jesus because we feel, we like both, but we feel like Jesus rolls off the tongue a little better, a little bit more relational, easier to connect with. So if you say Christ, nobody's come around and hit you with a wet noodle or anything like that. But we just kind of made that one shift focus. Now, why is this important? If you're visiting with us, you may think this isn't a big deal. You may think Jesus was just a good historical figure, maybe even a good moral teacher. You might even, depending on your religious background, have thought of him as like a prophet or something like that. But we think Jesus is that and so much more. We believe that Jesus is actually our savior, our king, our Lord, God in the flesh, the one and only son of God who loves us. And here's the thing. He didn't just come to earth and do some good teaching. He came to earth, did some teaching, and then died on a cross. And history would agree with that statement, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, Matthew chapter 28, the very last part of his story before everything in the church now began, he then went, right before he went up to heaven, he said, now, go into all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them that's all of us, to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I don't have time to unpack the end of the age and what does that mean and are we at the end and is he coming back right now? What I know is this, when Jesus left earth, he multiplied himself into the lives of his disciples. And that's really what today is all about. And he's in heaven right now, he's not dead, He's very much alive, and he's actually ruling and reigning from heaven. So when he says, I am with you always, it means right here in the active present now. He is actually leading his church. And we don't ever want to do anything without his leadership. 
Not just without him, like, hey, Jesus, would you like to come do this with us? But we want you to go with us. We want you a step ahead of us. And if you're not going with us, we don't wanna go. So that's why our mission is to become like him on this earth. He's up there leading through us, reigning through us. That's our goal. That's how we know if we win. Well, what does that look like? Brett talked to us last week about thriving spiritually. And thriving spiritually just means growing spiritually is gonna be in our DNA. We're going to seek to become more like him. Brett did this great thing, and he didn't even know that he was doing it, and I was like, ooh, I'm gonna steal that for next week. So Brett walked you through like three passages. There was one in Psalms and one in Isaiah, and one just a minute I'll read to you out of Colossians, but they all had to do with trees. Did you know that the Bible uses trees and plants analogy a lot? Part of it is it's an agricultural society, but it's more than that. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But he read a passage in Psalms that talks about um, your, your roots growing uh, down into the water. You'll be like a tree planted next to a river. And Isaiah says basically the same thing. This is a really big deal because if you ever watch a tree down by a river and you ever see it like when the bank is there and you can see the roots exposed, and they literally go down trying to find the water source because the water is what keeps them alive. It keeps it vibrant and growing and full of health. It keeps it doing well and anchored in, in, in all that it needs to be. That's where we need to be as a church. Everything else that we want to do, these other things we want to focus on, they will not happen if our roots don't go down deep into God himself. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. He says, let your roots grow down into Jesus. Let your lives be built on Jesus. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. And that is our goal. But did you also know that trees don't just have roots, they actually have fruits. They actually have something at the top and they look nearly identical. Take a look at this for a second. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Is that fascinating to anybody? If this bores you, you're going to hate this sermon. Okay, because we're going to go with a lot of tree plant stuff today. This is fascinating to me. So I did a bunch of research. Brian Franco, I don't know if you're here today. He goes here. I love Brian Franco. Franco Landscaping, good guy. Highly trust him. There you go if you want to get some landscaping done. So we have a lot of other guys here too, like Josh Becks, and I'm probably messing some people. We got some great people here. But Brian, um, when I have a horticulture question, I call him. But I went, I didn't call him. I actually went to Harvard's website and found an article on horticulture, and I read it. And so if I'm wrong, Harvard's really smart. Take it up with them, Brian. Okay, so... But what they said is, uh, it used to be thought that the roots could only go as wide as the fruit, the branches at the top had gone, but they found out that's actually not correct. The roots actually could spread one and a half to two times the width of the tree. And that if you cut enough of the branches, it actually can hurt the roots. And if you cut enough of the roots, it'll actually hurt the branches. That there is this symmetry between the two. It takes a healthy root system for a healthy fruit system. And it takes a healthy fruit system for a healthy root system. And you can't have one without the other. They've actually found, trying to discover how deep do roots actually go. And in places where you're not in inner cities, they have found that roots can actually go down. They found one, I, can't, I didn't write the number down, it's like 275 feet down into the earth. Isn't that crazy? By and large, they could travel 30 to 40 feet deep. And in fact, at least one tree expert told uh, us at our home once that usually the tree goes as far down as it goes up. It's like it was all done on purpose. But here's something even better, ready? Did you know that you 
We're designed by God to resemble a plant. Welcome to Kingsway. You're all a bunch of plants. Now, let me show you a picture. This is a picture of an actual set of lungs. Isn't that crazy? You're like, who cares? Why are we, what are we doing? What is happening right now? So if you were to look at the vein system, the nervous system, or even the lungs, you see this consistency of plants and trees. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, I get really excited about this Bible geek stuff, so just go with me, because I find it fascinating for a minute. And after God creates the plants, which he created before animals, before uh, people, he actually then says to the animals and to the people, be fruitful and multiply. Well, why did he pick a plant analogy to do this? It's because God wants you to know your plants, your trees. He's going to do this throughout the scriptures from the very beginning to the very end. In fact, Adam and Eve placed in a garden and there's this tree there and it's called the tree of life. And whatever exactly the tree of life is, is it literal? Is it metaphoric? I tell you this, it at least stands for the presence of God, the connectivity that we have with God, the thing that gives us life and vitality and health and and everything that we need. And it says in the very beginning that Adam and Eve were naked and had no shame, that they walked around, their work was easy. God built the first garden. He tended to it. Their work was not hard at all. There were no thorns and thistles. There was nothing in the world to make life complex or difficult or bring fighting or arguing or, or division between them. And life was beautiful and grandiose, but there was another tree there. And that tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that tree, God says, do not eat of that tree. You can eat of all these other trees, enjoy them, get life from the tree of life, become refreshed from the fruits and the vegetables here in the garden that I built for you. Life is going to be grandiose. And Adam and Eve didn't make it very long. And they ate the fruit of the other tree and everything became broken after that. And they start moving east out of the garden and God places an angel at the garden with a flaming sword going to and fro to guard the way back to the tree of life so that they couldn't come back and eat the fruit of the tree of life and live in this death state forever. And this is profound because all of a sudden we see that there's this tree whereby Adam and Eve disobey God. Then there's this tree whereby we need desperate access to in order to live eternally. And then we fast forward and suddenly Jesus, the Christ, shows up on the scene. And he's gonna be placed on a tree. Did you ever think about it? Except for this time, around that tree looked like a cross. He had to choose, am I going to be obedient or disobedient? See, the first Adam didn't obey God around the tree, brought death to all of us. But the second Adam, Jesus, he brought us life on a tree. How powerful is that? And then Jesus, he actually uses these like, tree analogies all the time, these plant metaphors to tell us how much our lives can be like trees. In fact, plants by nature are created to bear fruit. So were you. In the same way that the roots go down deep and then the fruit comes out the top, that's what God desires for your life. 
And Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he would teach in this thing called parables. Parables were stories in order to make a point, except for it was bigger than that. So the parables also confounded the wisdom of the day. And what I mean by that is by teaching in parables, those who wanted to uh, maybe look into Jesus and not really follow him or understand him or love him or serve him, they wanted to manipulate and control him for their own personal gain, which also included the disciples at times. By teaching in parables, he could confound their wisdom. I'm always amazed. I'll read these news articles and they'll discuss the teaching from Jesus. And when they get to a teaching about Jesus, they totally misapply what Jesus said and what Jesus meant. And I can prove it. I'll go, look, look here's an Old Testament text. Here's a New Testament text where Paul clarifies it. But it's because they don't have the mind of Christ about these issues. So when they're unpacking them, it's confusing to them why Jesus would look at the world the way that he does. And that's one of the reasons he teaches the parables. Had they seen and known what he was saying, they might have arrested him and killed him sooner. But not only that, but if somebody really wants to know who Jesus is and what Jesus is about, you're going to have to look into the teaching, understand its meaning, and work hard to apply it to your life. Because sometimes what Jesus has to say is just flat offensive. It's actually quite offensive to say that you are lost and need a savior. Like, who do you think you are to tell me who I am? And he's like, well, I'm the savior who loves you and cares about you and is gonna die on the tree for you. And in Mark chapter four, Jesus gives one of these parables. And here's how the parable goes. He's like, there once was a farmer and he's got some seed and he throws the seed out and the seed falls in different kinds of soil. And because of that, the, so the plant grows differently. Some, some of the seed gets eaten by birds. Some of the seed gets trampled on by feet. Some of the seed gets uh, raised up among thorns and thistles. It gets choked out. Some of the seed just gets scorched to death by the sun. But then every once in a while, there's a seed that takes hold. It takes root and grows and succeeds. Jesus walks away, maybe like, yeah, high five my brothers, the disciples. Like, I nailed that one. And the disciples go, huh? Well, if you ever looked at Jesus and gone, huh, you're in good company, okay? So take a load off your back for a second if you don't understand everything, because then Jesus pulls the disciples aside and he teaches them. In fact, here, here's what it looks like. Mark chapter four, verse nine. It says this, Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So he says this because he wants everybody who hears this to tune in. So you have ears, right? I'm assuming you have ears. If you don't, you have eyes and you can read, I'm guessing. If you cannot hear this or see this, I have no idea how you're processing this information right now. I don't know what to say. I'm assuming in some form or fashion, you're getting this information. So because of that, the question is not, do you literally have ears, but are you tuning in to understand what Jesus has to say? Now he unpacks the illustration for the disciples and he says this in Mark 4, verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, that them is the disciples. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. So the seed is the word. He explains it. Then he goes on to verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. How exactly does this happen? There's a lot of ways. Well, you're gonna find is the different seeds and the different soils where the seed lands. I should be clear, the seed is the same. It's the soil that's different. The soil, very much, there's a lot of overlap. But Jesus wants us to understand there's many ways in which we could fall away. 
So in this example, yeah, some of the seed, the word, falls along a path where the word is sown, it took hold, but as soon as the person hears it, Satan comes and takes it away. What was sown in them? Well, how exactly would that happen in everyday life? Well, I, I mean, there's a lot of ways, right? You have something tragic happen, perhaps, and a doubt creeps up in you, like maybe God isn't real. Maybe I can't trust him. Over the last year, a pandemic has rocked the world. I believe that God, what God is up to in this, I'm not, I do not believe that God caused this, but I think what God is up to in this is he wants us to understand how fragile the world systems are. I mean, if something so tiny that you can't even see it could break the entire world, how fragile is life? We've lost over a half a million Americans alone from this virus. That's a lot. This virus has wreaked havoc in markets and businesses and systems worldwide. Has anybody fallen away because of it? The average attendance of a church in America right now is roughly uh, 30 to 50%, depending on the church. There's a few churches that go above that. There's plenty of churches that go below that. And people are predicting that even when the virus is over, many of those people will never step foot in a church again. Has Satan taken anything away from you? In verse 16, he goes on, he says, other seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And what does that mean? Well, it's not too hard to figure out like in everyday life, right? You ever meet somebody who, when they first come to faith, like, they're all excited, yeah, I'm gonna go storm the gates of hell. I always get really anxious. I could name some names of people you might know, and I get really anxious because they are so on fire when they first meet Jesus, and I'm going, man, I've just seen this over and over and over and over and over again as a pastor, this fire that, that then when things get really hard, they get really difficult, they just run away, and they quickly run away. Like, if you are going to grow a plant, Let's just say a tree for a minute. Does it grow quickly? You ever plant a seed and look outside and go, oh, look at that massive 40-foot tree. It grew overnight, honey. What does it take? Time and patience and sunlight and watering and a whole lot of other things that are in your control and out of your control. Uh, years ago, my wife and I, uh, I had to cut down some trees in our yard, mostly because I didn't want to pick up a whole lot of apples all the time. And uh, I like buying them at the store. I don't like growing them in my backyard where wasps and things show up. So we wanted to buy a little tree to replace it. So I went to one of the local nurseries and they had these beautiful trees lining the road. I was like, oh, I want those. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh yeah, that's great. That's like the perfect size. It's gonna be beautiful and pretty flowers and little nuts that fall and attract squirrels and, and birds. It'll be great. My kids will throw them at each other. It'll be wonderful. Anyway, so... We put this tree in, and it's been, I don't even know, three to five years now, and it hasn't hardly grown at all. And I'm looking at this thing, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, start growing. And sometimes I wonder if God looks at me like, what is wrong with you? Start growing. Anyway, back to this analogy. So if you don't have a good root, you can't have a big fruit. There is a direct correlation between the two, and then when it gets hard, notice, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word. There's a false teaching today that says, if you follow after Jesus, everything will go great. You'll be healthy, rich, and wise. 
In fact, the greater your faith, the greater the blessing. It's a lie. And I, I show this to you all the time, but in case you're one of those people, stop listening to people who are lying to you about God's word. Jesus actually says there are people who are gonna fall away because it gets hard. Well, why would it get hard if it's not supposed to get hard if you become a Christian? It is hard sometimes to do what God has asked you to do, to obey him around the tree. It's hard to do. It was hard for Jesus. It cost him his life, but to hang on anyway. And then he goes on in verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Well, a few things. Notice, if you ever put a plant in the ground and you let weeds grow up around it and you don't take care of those weeds, what's going to happen over time the roots from those weeds are going to starve out the plant. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. There are other things being sown around you in your life. He gives a few examples, the worries of life. I don't know, is my, is my business gonna make it? Am I gonna be good enough? Do I measure up? All these things we attach our identity to. Am I gonna find a spouse? What about, I don't know, this sin or this temptation or this struggle or whatever it is, the deceitfulness of wealth? You know, I need more. I'm never happy. I don't have enough. So I keep putting in more and putting in more to get more because it's extremely deceitful. Have you noticed it? We live in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Indoor plumbing, indoor electricity, cars, you name it, roofs over our head. It is crazy the amount of wealth we have. We don't realize it because there's always a Mark Cuban in the world and all of us think of his wealth and think, well, I'm not that wealthy. Listen, you are very wealthy. And if you are as wealthy as Mark Cuban, I want to buy you lunch. Actually, I want you to buy me lunch because I want to talk to you about Jesus and I want to talk to you about what he wants to do with your life and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word. But notice what it says, making it unfruitful. The danger for us, if we don't take this teaching to heart, is all of these other things going on in our life, all these things we accumulate and think life is about, they will actually crush us and kill us and starve us from what life is really about. Parents, take careful care to make sure that your children do not become obsessed with what they accumulate in this world now. Because if you're not careful, it may very well lead them away from their father. But then he goes on and he says, verse 20, other like seed sown on good soil. They hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So like trees or plants, you were created to produce and reproduce. That's what God desires for your life. Are you with me? What does it mean to reproduce? Oh, that means God wants me to launch a new company in 2021. I don't know, maybe, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. It has nothing to do with that. What he's talking about is you reproducing into the lives of others what God has produced in you. Just give an example. Okay, so let's say you struggle with anger and then you meet God and you find out how unbelievably gracious and patient he is with you. That's been my experience. And then what happens is somebody comes at you one day and they're angry and your normal response is to get angrier, right? And so now you got an angry person and you're an angry person. It could be a spouse, it could be a kid, somebody at work, whatever, neighbor. And everybody just keeps getting angrier and just keeps escalating, right? This is what happens. So what is the fruit coming out of your life? 
anger. Now, the only way you win in that scenario is you get bigger, you get louder, you get stronger, or you get a bigger weapon. And as long as you do that, you'll be bigger and badder than everybody else, and everybody else will have to fall in line and do what you tell them and command them to do. But then you meet Jesus, and the fruit that he starts to produce in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you no longer start to act out in your anger. You don't use those words to hurt and attack. You don't do that thing you used to do, but instead you patiently think about and process the information and you seek the heavenly father. And instead the seeds that you start planting and the lives of the people around you is those same fruitful things happening inside you. And what fruit starts to come out of the ground? See, if you always get bigger and stronger and have to overcome everybody with your anger, then what happens is you make other people bitter and resentful and hurt. And honestly, they will try to find ways to get back at you and to wound you and to attack you. And then it just keeps escalating. But then what if Jesus' spirit could take hold in your life, convict you and stir in you and move in you and do something so that the seeds that are dropping down out of your branches are actually changing the community around you? And what's being raised up, what's being planted is this fruit of patience. So this is exactly what Jesus is trying to get to. When you take a seed let's use an acorn and you put it in the ground. I think acorns produce oak trees. I told you I'm not very good at horticulture. I think that's right. And so this acorn turns into an oak tree. The oak tree is like this big, mighty, strong tree. Does it produce one acorn? If you wanted to produce acorns, wouldn't you be really frustrated if 30 years after planting a seed, all you got was one acorn? That's it? Like, no, cut that bad boy down. Let's do it again. Let's do something else because this one didn't work. That's what Jesus is trying to get to. They're going to produce differently. And I wish I knew exactly. I don't know. I wish I knew what he meant here. Does he mean, there's a parable Jesus tells called the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And he says, each person is given a different talent. You know, maybe one is given one, maybe one three, and maybe one five. And, and the whole point is the master gave different talents. Is that what Jesus means? I don't know. I wonder if what he means is this. Does he mean that if you hear the word of God, you accept the word of God, and you let it kind of take hold, the degree to which you let it take hold will change the degree to which you have fruitfulness come from you? So I guess the question, listen, if you don't believe in Jesus yet, this question may not be for you, but if you do believe in Jesus, whether you're at home and you go to our church or you're tuning in from another church or you're here right now, is the word of God taking hold in your life? Is it producing something in you? Are you multiplying yourself into the lives of other people? Is your transformation transforming those around you? Because that's what God desires for you. And if it's not, I'm gonna use a word, a real big spiritual word, but man, it's time to repent. It's time to change, to turn and say, I've been living selfish. I've been concerned about persecution. I've been buying into the lies of Satan. I've been distracted by the world. And I don't want that. It's time to come back. So as a church, what we've said is over the next five years, to become more about like, let me say this to you guys again, to be more like Jesus by the end of 2025, we will multiply our impact. There's two major ways that we're gonna do this, two major categories. Let me just read it to you. This is the actual paragraph we wrote. 
We will, notice you're gonna hear a lot of we will statements because this is who we're going to be, it's not who we are. We will intentionally multiply to impact Kingsway and the kingdom. And I'm gonna stop there for a minute because these two words are a really big deal to me. When I came to Kingsway roughly 11 years ago, what I said is, look, if Kingsway grows and every church in the community shrinks, that is not a win. What we have seen roughly over the last 50 or 60 years of American church history is the overall number of Christians has not gone up one iota. But you see these churches growing and getting bigger all the time. We know there are some who fell away from the faith and some who've joined the faith, but by and large, we've not made any ground. That's mind-boggling to me because the overall population of America is certainly going up and we see it and we feel it all the time. And the reason this is important is because our goal is not just to grow what God is doing here, to multiply ourselves into what God is doing here, but it's also to grow and to multiply what God is doing elsewhere, here and all over the world. So we've put some pieces on this. As it relates to Kingsway itself, we've said this, 3,000 people weekly will engage through our live and online gatherings. Today, it's hard to figure this out, but you know, once we set a number, we had to start trying to learn, like, where are we? But we sit somewhere between 1,400 and 2,000 people every Sunday as well as online. That's counting everybody one time, every baby, every kid, every student, one time. Try not to count twice as best as we know how. What would it look like for us to roughly double that number, a little less than double that number over the next five years? It's gonna take a lot of work. We've got some plans in place. It says, we will create easy on-ramps and remove barriers for new people to find their purpose in Jesus. You've heard us talk a lot about this this year through our Kazon series, and even in this series. We believe that God has gifted you for a very unique and special purpose. How do we help you find that? We're trying to build a studio here on campus somewhere. We're gonna have to be talking to people like construction workers and contractors and people who are experts in sound. We think there's a real opportunity in the digital world online. Andy Lynch recently launched a podcast. He's lately been interviewing uh, our staff and just taking Sunday's content and going deeper with them. If you aren't tuned into it, you really need to. I'm listening to these things and being challenged uh, by some of the different podcasts and the wisdom that our staff has. I'm like, man, you've brought us some really talented people, God. And we want to see that expand. We've got lots of ideas and lots of things we're working on, but we had to start somewhere. Now, let's talk about the kingdom for a minute. We said this, we will plant or launch a new church to continue to reach those who are disconnected from God. I don't know exactly what that means yet. We're not tackling that in year one. We don't want to overestimate what we could do in one year and underestimate what we could do in five years. But I know this. I believe that that we need to continue to multiply churches for the glory of God. And so I don't know if this means reaching out to some of the other churches in our community and saying, hey, let's partner together and launch a church together or, or what, it, what it would look like yet. I only know this. God has put this dream in our hearts and within five years, we're gonna accomplish that. And then it says, we will look for creative ways to partner with five local churches. There's one coming up in June this year. I told you at the vision, not if you tuned in, but it's called uh, The Art of Neighboring. I read a book with our elders. We read a book with our staff and we've been working through it. It's just been deeply convicting about truly loving our neighbor in the same way we love ourselves. So what I've been doing behind the scenes is trying to meet with local pastors and just say, how would you like for your church to go through this the same time as our church? We've got a handful or so of churches already on board. I've got a lunch coming up with, I've invited 10 or 12 local pastors. I don't know how many are gonna come. Uh, Just trying to get them together and say, what would it look like for our churches to do the same series at the same time. Look, I know we don't agree on everything in the Bible. I know some of you guys love being wrong sometimes. That's fine. You have permission to do that. I truly love these guys. I'm just joking. But listen, what would it look like for us to be on the same team? 
You do it in your building with your people, I'll do it in our building with our people, but then you're in your neighborhood and you're rubbing shoulders with people who come from other churches and you're truly loving your neighbors together, not competitively, together for the kingdom. I'm really excited about God doing this in us. I feel like that would be a huge win, yeah, over these next five years. So let's bring this home now with the last few minutes that I have. When we planted that tree in our backyard that hasn't grown very big, it is beautiful, but it hasn't grown nearly as quick or as fast as I'd hoped, we had to tether it to some poles like this. This isn't actually our tree, but you ever notice that? You put a tree in the ground, you go to the nursery, you buy a tree, it's already got a little bit of life, it's not a little baby seedling. You gotta put these stakes in the ground, you gotta tether it to that. Here's what I know. Over the last year or so, God keeps bringing us people, and I don't know your background. I just got an email this week from a guy moving here from out of state, and he's checking out Kingsway. He's not sure he wants to come or not or make this his church home. Hey, I'd love to talk to you on the phone. If it's not here, I know some great churches in the community. I said, I'd love to help you connect to. But if you do come here, here's the one thing I would say, and you gotta get tethered. Because what happens if you put a tree in the ground and you don't tether it? It doesn't have the root system yet. It doesn't have the connectivity yet. And this is some of your stories. And so the wind blows or the snow falls or the, or the rain comes and all of a sudden that tree is gonna get uprooted, isn't it? It can happen even within the first year. They say for a tree this size, I think it's roughly a year that it needs for that root system to go down and spread out. And in the meantime, it needs tethered to something else to help hold it up. And some of you need that as well. We constantly are putting groups together to do this. So who's showing up when your life is falling apart? Who's carrying you? Who are you turning to when you sin and they're reminding you of the gospel? Hi, my name is Matt Nickerson. I'm 44 years old. I gave my life to Jesus at 12. I was raised in a Christian home. I've known about Jesus my whole life. I've had seasons where I fell away and came back, but I know this. I need the gospel as much today as I did at 12. And I need a community of people who will look me in the face and call me out when I'm sinning. I need a community of people who look me in the face and remind me of the grace and the mercy of God when I do. And you do too. I was recently uh, listening to a message and they were talking about C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis uh, had a group of like four or five guys he was really, really good friends with. And one of the guys died. And C.S. Lewis writes about how much his heart ached and grieved over the loss of his friend but he didn't expect this. Something else that happened was there was a special relationship between one of his friends and another one of his friends. And the way they would razz each other and talk about each other and interact with each other. And his joy in their friendship was the way that they would interact. So when this one friend died, he lost not just his friend, but he lost the way his friend brought something out of his other friend. That part of him just died as well. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of what God is trying to birth in us. That's multiplying the impact of that one person into the lives of other people. And you need that. And I need that. I need God multiplying other people's goodness and joy and gospel life into me to bring me alive, to bring you alive. And if you come to church, especially, listen, if you're at home, I'm gonna do a little bit of like, rebuke here. If you come to church only on Christmas and only on Easter, we see you five times a year, you are in dangerous trouble of becoming one of the seeds that falls away. And it's not a good place to be. It's terribly scary and dangerous. 
In fact, Jesus goes on in John chapter 15, and it's right before he goes to the cross, and he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Notice the plant language. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Not one thing. You wanna try to fix your family on your own? Good luck. You need your roots to grow down deep into him. It's the only way you're gonna bear fruit. But here's the thing. If you do connect to Jesus, he's the vine, you're the branch. If you stay connected to him, you will bear much fruit. If your life isn't bearing fruit for God's kingdom, you might not be connected to him. Let that sink in for a second because that's a scary thought to process. But apart from him, you could do nothing. You need a gospel-saturated community to love you and remind you who you are in Christ and how much he loves you and how much he's died for you to bring you to himself. Do you have that? Do you have a place where you serve and you give back and don't just take life, but give life to other people? Do you have that? Is your family and those in your sphere of influence, do they see you growing in your knowledge and grace of God? If not, can we help with that? And if you feel like that tree and you're untethered, I just want you to stop right now. Pull out your cell phone and text 317-565-4911 and just put in the word connect. In fact, if you're at home right now, just put connect. If you're watching on Facebook, just put connect right there. We will follow up with you. But don't go another day isolated and alone and give Satan a foothold to destroy you. Now, last thing I'm gonna say before I close In the very next verse, I need you to get this. Jesus goes on in verse six and he says this. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burn. I used to think that Jesus was talking about hell here. I'm not sure. Honestly, I'm not sure. But let me just tell you what I do think he's saying with absolute certainty. So yesterday, (laughs) yesterday, I went outside to take down my Christmas lights, you know, because it's almost Easter. And my wife's been telling me for weeks, can you find some time to take down the Christmas lights? Okay, so I went outside to take down the Christmas lights and I had to climb up, shimmy my way up into this tree to to hook them down because I thought it was a great idea last year and now I gotta take them down. And when I'm doing that, this big tree in our front yard, there's these dead branches all over the yard. Now I prune, you can ask my wife, I prune all the time because it just drives me crazy having little branches that are just distracting. So I'm pruning all the time. Like, How could there be any branches left to prune? And sure enough, there's branches all over. What happened? the weight of the snow. Remember the big snowstorm we just had a few weeks ago? It crushed a few of them. Here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to pick up that branch and duct tape it back on in a hope that it grows again. Why? It's dead. It's disconnected from the tree. Jesus, whatever he does mean about hell or not, I don't know. What he does mean with absolute certainty is if you disconnect from him, you'll be no better than a branch that's broke off from a tree. What happens to those branches? What do we do with them? We gather them up and we throw them into the fire. They become dead and useless. You need your roots to go down deep into his love so that you can come alive in his presence because apart from him, you could do nothing. And then he says in verse eight, 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The fruit that you bear is a direct result of the fact that you follow after him. So for each of us, let us ask this question, is my life bearing fruit? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, may your spirit use this in each of us. May this be a coming back, Father, if we need. For those who've been distracted by Satan and the desires and the deceitfulness of this world, God, may this be the day we turn back and connect to you. God, I do not believe that Jesus is saying he wants to throw anybody away. He's simply making a statement about what happens when we disconnect from you. Our lives lose the power they were intended to have. So God, let us turn to you now. God, for those in this room who maybe been a fan of yours for a long time, watching you move in other people's lives, sitting on the sideline, cheering you on from a distance, God, may they be moved to get out of the stands and onto the field and on the team and engaged with you. God, stir in our hearts, but may our lives bear much fruit. God, may we be obedient around the tree the way Jesus was. We need you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people say.